Welcome back to I Cry at Work. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Cashon, here for another week of discussing what's going on in the American workplace. But it wouldn't really be a podcast on corporate America without some corporate buzzwords. And in the time between last week's episode and this week's, we have yet another new buzzword just feeding me content. If you missed last week's episode, that buzzword was quiet quitting. The phrase being used to describe people that effectively do the job they're paid to do. Just won't overextend themselves to take on increased responsibility in work hours without additional pay. And I spent the entire episode explaining how completely moronic that is. And how it's just another attempt of blaming and shaming employees for the actions of their employer. It's like they got into a room and were like, you know what we should do about all the free labor U.S. for-profit corporations are getting? You know what that problem really needs? A rebrand. Tell me you're a newly hired CMO without telling me you're a newly hired CMO. Working for free just sounds so boring. It's exposing. It's coercive. It's the truth. I'm sorry. Was I snoring? We've got to make free labor more hip. Say goodbye to free labor. And hello to quiet quitting. Huh? It's fresh. It's critical. It's manipulation. Genius. Let's launch a public awareness campaign. So that was last week's term. I didn't like that term. But the new buzzword for this week, (laughs) my heart, I'm in love. It may be my all-time favorite. Just fighting for first place against rage quitting and per my last email. I tend to like the ones that pack a punch. A metaphorical throwing of hands, if you will. I mean, the words, per my last email is really just the Microsoft Outlook translation of jab, cross, hook, uppercut. It's such a good feeling, isn't it? Sending that. A corporate euphoria, really. And look, I'm not condoning violence. It's not like I'm a psychopath and find enjoyment in people fighting. I have zero desire to watch a UFC fight. Like, hmm. You know what I think I would enjoy observing in my leisure? Two washed-up high school wrestlers locked in a cage shaped like a stop sign, physically assaulting each other as a competition to see who will develop CTE the fastest. You know, for people's amusement. Nope, not my thing. But what I do condone is defending yourself, which is what this new buzzword does. You see... It appears that waves of people also thought the term quiet quitting was completely and utterly ridiculous. So much so, they punched back with their own version. Quiet firing. Beautiful, isn't it? And this one I can get on board with. But, I mean, it's a baby. It's, it's real new. Just a baby buzzword at this point. So if you haven't seen it yet, let me explain how it's being used. Basically, quiet firing is when an employer takes various actions over time to try to get an employee to willingly resign. 
rather than fire you themselves. The most common example being used is not giving people a raise year after year, even though they keep performing well. Some other examples are giving people significantly more workload and responsibilities without additional pay, or publicly humiliating them or diminishing their work in front of others. For example, one story I heard was about an assistant getting their desk moved from an office to the corner of a break room and then giving the office to an intern. Ugh, hate when that happens. So generally, that is how this term is being used to describe how employers' actions over time entice an employee to willingly quit and go work for someone else. It's worth mentioning, I did hear quiet firing be used in one other context that's pretty different. I've only seen it used this way one time, and it was used to describe the nonchalant way most companies lay people off at any given moment, just revoking all their access and then sending an email that they've been fired after the fact. And we all have seen how common that actually is. I worked at a company that fired people all the time, and the only way you knew who was fired was going through the Microsoft profiles on what used to be like Skype and Link, and now it's Teams, and you just see who is listed as presence unknown. Literally, people would just regularly scroll that list to see who had been fired. <laughs> When I put in my resignation notice for that job, they walked me out. Because, you know, toxicity. And people called me pretty soon after because they had seen my status went to presence unknown in their morning scroll. But that's not actually how most people are using this term. Most people are using quiet firing to describe an employer that doesn't actually fire you, but persuades you to leave on your own. It's just like quiet quitting that doesn't involve quitting at all. Quiet firing doesn't actually involve firing anyone either. But here's what I believe makes them starkly different. The behavior being intentional. And I think that's what's getting lost in translation with this new term, quiet firing. That is different. Quiet quitting, <laughs> two cues, is making an intentional choice to not overextend yourself working. It's an intentional decision to not take on more responsibility than what's expected of you without additional pay. A concerted effort to draw boundaries between your work life and your personal life and actually abide by them to the best of your ability. And when it comes to quiet firing, the narrative being used seems to imply that it's an intentional, targeted effort by your employer to make things so bad for you that you will choose to leave instead of just firing you. And I think that's giving them way too much credit. I don't think employers quiet firing people even know they're doing it. Because the fact of the matter is, if an employer wanted to fire you, if you warranted being fired, they would fire you. Let me break that down. Think about the reasons an employer would want an employee to leave the company. I narrowed it down to four. With the most obvious being, they aren't performing. They don't meet expectations. They're making mistakes. They're not improving, etc. Second, their job is now obsolete. 
the company no longer needs someone to perform that job. Third, you've demonstrated bad or inappropriate behavior. And fourth, for all the reasons that make this system run here in the good old US of A, for financial reasons, of course. To improve profit, assuming they aren't going to replace you in the very near future, that would free up room in their P&L. So if those are the reasons they would want to fire someone, why haven't they? The main and most obvious answer is they don't want to be sued, which really just puts the America in corporate America, doesn't it? Our litigious nature shining through. The other possible reasons a company wouldn't fire someone that they would like to would be to avoid having to pay a severance amount, which isn't even required, but common practice, especially in toxic cultures. The other possible reason would be that the person that would need to fire them is scared to, and would just rather avoid the conflict. But considering the term layoff tracker is trending on LinkedIn right now, I don't think that one is too prevalent in this country. So aside from that one, on the surface, avoiding a lawsuit and paying severance might look like reasonable reasons a company would avoid firing someone. But let's look at them in conjunction with the reasons they would want to fire them in the first place. Starting with if someone isn't performing, the main reason. If someone isn't performing, there's likely a trail of formal paperwork showing that, which helps cover you from a lawsuit because you have documented they aren't good at their job and haven't gotten better. And keeping someone around that actually is not performing well is far more costly than whatever that severance you may offer. Next, if the job is obsolete. <laughs> it's very well known that this is a pretty solid legal shield. This is why companies will say the position has been eliminated instead of saying the person has been terminated from this company. Even if it's not really an obsolete role, companies abuse this all the time. They'll just wait a handful of months to hire a replacement and then give them a title that's different from the one they fired to do the exact same job. For every financial analyst that gets fired, an FP&A manager gets hired four months later. Aside from that, it would make zero financial sense to keep someone on your payroll that you don't need as opposed to pay severance if they truly have an obsolete job. So next, if they exhibit bad or inappropriate behavior. <laughs> this is probably the easiest to refute because you are probably at a bigger risk of a lawsuit for keeping them around as opposed to firing them. And there's likely a handful of documented HR complaints. And whatever you may choose to pay in severance is likely worth it to make sure the rest of your high-performing employees stick around. And more importantly, feel safe. And finally, if they want to increase their profit. Keeping anyone around as opposed to firing them makes zero financial sense, even if you have to pay severance. It's called layoffs. We're all familiar. 
So you see what I mean by if you're worthy of being fired? They would fire you. It's not logical to keep you around. Once again, if you are worthy of being fired. But what if you aren't? If the original question was asking what reasons would an employer want an employee to leave their company, why would they want you to stay? If you haven't demonstrated poor performance, you likely demonstrate good performance. If your job isn't obsolete, your job is needed for someone to continue performing. If you haven't had bad or inappropriate behavior, you've demonstrated acceptable behavior. If your presence on their payroll isn't hurting their profit, your presence is helping it. But why is that? For starters, it's a controllable expense. They have full control over how much they choose to pay you. An existing employee doesn't have any real control over getting a raise, a bonus, a promotion, better benefits, cost of living adjustment, how much that all might be. They don't even have any real control if they get one at all. You know what type of employee does have real control over all those things? Prospective employees that have real negotiating power. But once they come to an agreement, that employee becomes a controllable expense moving forward. So it's not so much about it being a controllable expense as it is the expense itself. So if they actually wanted you to leave, why wouldn't they just fire you and hire someone new? Because it will hurt their profit. Because they know they'll have to pay more for someone new to provide the same level of performance you're providing. That's the reality of the job market. A market that an existing employee isn't really in. Here's a glaring stat. Over the past year, half of the workers who changed jobs increased their pay almost 10%, 9.7%. That's even after adjusting for inflation. So it probably was closer to like 20, if I guess. While someone that has stayed in their job experienced a loss of almost 2%, negative 1.7 because it is also adjusted for inflation. Think about that. The people that stayed in their job lost money. <laughs> and people want to say they're lazy for not going above and beyond for their employer anymore. With a term like quiet quitting. I actually came across a quote this week from Kevin O'Leary, otherwise known as Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank that really demonstrates really the perfect case study on how stupid it is to say that after people literally lost money working for their same employers this year. And I'm quoting. Quiet quitting is a really bad idea. You have to go above and beyond because you want to. That's how you achieve success. No, Mr. Wonderful, it's not, actually. How you achieve success is apparently leaving your deadbeat employer 
And what is a really bad idea is giving 110% for someone that gave you negative two. I actually met Kevin O'Leary a few years ago at a conference in New York. How I initiated the conversation was how I do all conversations with pretentious old white men from Canada. With wine. Because the open bar was only serving his wine brand, like O'Leary wine or something. So I just said, I like your wine. Let me start chatting. And you know what, Mr. Wonderful? I lied. I actually hated your wine. What tasting notes were you going for? Licking a chalkboard? After hearing his idiotic comment about quiet quitting, figured I'd get that off my chest. Once and for all. But that data point about job switching really just highlights why I don't think quiet siring is intentionally trying to get someone to resign. I think it's more likely they're intentionally trying to pay someone under market value for as long as possible. Think about it. How many times have you heard about someone during the Great Resignation getting a way better offer somewhere else and then their existing employer counters at the same or more? I hear scenarios like that all the time. And it's not like 10%, like it's like 30 and 40. Why wouldn't they have just offered that before the employee got another offer? Surprise! It's because they didn't have to. Because it was a controllable expense. Until the employee gained some control with an unbiased confirmation of their market value. So that's what I really think quiet firing is, is that they actually don't want you to leave. They don't want to fire you. They just suck and want to pay the least amount possible for someone to do the job you do. It's really heartwarming, isn't it? But don't get me wrong. I am still major fangirl of this buzzword. Because it punches back. Working is a relationship between employees and employers. And this buzzword just shows that employees are tired of being a punching bag. It's beautiful. So to wrap up this week's episode, here are my suggestions around quiet firing. On the employee side, if it's been over a year since you've received any type of raise or promotion, ask for a raise. If we were in any other year, some might say that I could be a little too aggressive. But it's not any other year. It's a year with 9% inflation. Yay! So if you haven't received literally any type of raise, it's very reasonable to ask for some type of raise because your disposable income has decreased 9% while working for that employer. If they won't budge, it's obviously up to you what you want to do. But my gut says an employer that won't give any sort of raise over the past 52 weeks when inflation is at 9% sucks. Personally, I'd probably look elsewhere. Unless your poor soul is in tech right now, to which I'll say, hang on for dear life, friends. Godspeed. But if you're not in tech, in Silicon Valley, personally, I would probably look into applying to other jobs. 
And if you're an employee that's been there for years, plural, and haven't seen any sort of raise or promotion, <laughs> get the fuck out of there. Or at least apply to others because you likely aren't bringing in what your actual value in the market is worth. And once you have confirmation on that value being higher than what you're making now, aka a higher offer from a different company, it at least gives you an unbiased number to take back to your current employer. Maybe they counter and match it. And if that happens, just remember, that means they not only believe you provide that much value to their organization, but that they have the means to pay you that amount, but chose not to give it to you before. Why does it take you having to take action externally for them to pay you what you're worth? And maybe they don't counter and walk you out like me. <laughs> Either way, you'll be getting paid your value. But that's really what my advice for the employee side boils down to when it comes to quiet firing. Just be cognizant of your market value because that'll help you be more aware of your employer quiet firing you over time when you know how much value you're making with them compared to what you could be making elsewhere. And on the employer side, here's how you stop quiet firing people. This piece of advice is actually the same suggestion I gave a few weeks ago on the episode on annual raises. Separate performance-driven bonuses with cost-of-living adjustments when it comes to annual raises. They're not the same thing. One has to do with performance and one does not. And start to implement a guaranteed cost-of-living adjustment each year based on actual market data in your area, not just some blanket number. And guarantee that your employees will maintain their disposable income year over year. And then reserve performance-based bonuses that are separate for people that do prove they go above and beyond and reward them when they do that. Those things would go a long way in this country. Because as much as I'm talking about paying employees their market value, if you're a decent employer, there will be employees that will be okay making less than their market value to stay working for you. As long as they know they'll maintain their disposable income year over year working for you. And those people also would be willing to give 110% if you prove to them it will be rewarded. You just have to put your money where your mouth is. So that's it. That's all I got for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, if you found it helpful in any way, it means a lot to me if you will rate it on whatever platform you're listening to. You can follow on social at Workplace Tears or visit WorkplaceTears.com for some merch. And feel free to reach out if you just need to vent or if you want to share a story or if you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest. Just let me know. I'd love to hear from you all. But that's it for this week. Thank you so much again for listening. I will see you next week for another episode of I Cry at Work. 